love your pets like family? 95% of pet owners in America would say yes. And pet owners are willing to put their money where their mouth is. We'll spend about $110 billion annually on our furry friends. But does all this love come at a cost? Today we are exploring the wild world of pets, looking at where all these critters come from, how happy pets really are in the human world, and what we might owe to the animals we have bred to be our daily companions. All this to answer the rude question, does having pets make me a shitty person? That's what you're in for today on Impolite Society. You're listening to Impolite Society with Laura and Rachel. So in honor of this episode, I was thinking of leaving the podcasting door open and just letting like my cat the cats in here. Free yeah. range through the and podcast. Just, just <laughs> come in and tell us time. what you think about being a cat and being yeah. a pet. But then I decided against it and I locked him in my husband's office. I almost had the dogs up here, but then I realized the bed that they lay on, I needed to make my sound booth. So <laughs> they'd have nowhere to go. So they're downstairs. Where with, you belong. With, well, let's kick this thing off. Let's do it to it. You are listening to Impolite Society, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to look into the taboo topics you can't discuss with your parole officer at your monthly check-in meeting. We are the only taboo podcast hosted by a former radio personality and her partner improv comedian. I'm Rachel. And I'm Laura. And today we have a great topic for you. It's toughy, but a good one because it's definitely going to get into some musing territory. And I'm not going to lie, when it came to this research, I went on a journey. I feel like every time I research, I go on a journey. These topics are hard. There's just so much to dig into in every single one of these. So I am ready to go on this journey with you. And I want to say, listener, know that I agonized over this research. And Laura (laughs) knows firsthand, like I literally just rewrote all of it an hour before recording. I was like, I'm not happy with it. I'm going to redo it. And I felt like I had to go the extra mile to make this amazing because this question comes from one of our favorite people a listener yay listener questions so this one comes from ben s who emailed us a little bit ago it took us a minute to get it in sorry sorry for your wait sorry ben but ben emailed us asking about pets and specifically the ethics of owning a pet I remember talking about this when we did the president's episode about canceling our founding fathers. And we were talking about things that we do now that we will look back on and think, wow, that was terrible in 50, 100 years. And pets was one of those things that we had talked about. And also one of the things that Ben had emailed us about later to say, hey, what do you think about this? And that is a really good topic because it is kind of a smoking gun. When it comes down to pets, clearly we love them. We're obsessed with pets. But there's like this bigger ethical question going on with owning these companion animals. So Mm. that leads us to our rude question for the day. Does having pets make me a shitty person? Well, if it does, you're an extra shitty person because you've got what? five pets over there i got four four but i have a frog anymore oh no the frog graduated to somebody else's house no fish no No rat hanging out no you didn't sneak a rat in there no i do want a rat but i'm holding off to maintain like my standing in society mostly but (laughs) you're coming at me but laura do you have pets of course. Are you, are you potentially a shitty person? I am potentially a shitty person. Yes. I have two black cats, which used to be the highlight of my life. And then I had a kid. And then I was like, God, you guys are annoying. No. <laughs> poor <laughs> so cats. true. I'm sorry. So as we mentioned, I'm a bit of a pet person myself. I have four, four pets. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg when it comes to animals that I've had in my life. And I've 
volunteered with animal welfare organizations, not just like in there taking care of pets, but I've done like their social media. I shadowed a vet for a long time. And I, of course, who could ever forget my year spent in the magical world of dog shows where I reported on dog show events in the dog show world and got to go to like Westminster Dog Show and the National Dog Show. And I have a lot of thoughts about that whole world, but I'll save that for later and um, try to maintain some subjectivity. <laughs> well, I've never been to Westminster, but I mean, I've got- like I've got a pretty strong connection to pets. I had uh, animal all through my childhood, dogs and cats. And I've also donated to animal-based charities. That's always the, the one that's most likely to get me to reach into my wallet is something having to do with animal welfare and pets and wildlife preservation and that kind of thing. So I think it's safe to say that we are two pet-loving kind of people. Our mortal souls, our our humanity is riding on the line of this episode of us being good people or bad people. So you better get it right, Rachel. No matter which way we land, one thing is for certain, and that is that by having pets, we are taking part in a tradition almost as old as humanity itself. While the oldest remains of dogs in human encampments or human villages dates back like 16,000 years, we actually believe that dogs have been evolving alongside of us for more like 40,000 years. Wow. And on the flip side, cats have only graced us with their presence for the past 12,000 years, with the oldest cat remains being discovered on the island of Cyprus. And those remains date back about 9,000 years. So our companion animals, like the one crawling over Laura right now... (laughs) Our companion animals have had an interesting path to domestication. It's a little bit different than our other agricultural animals, animals that we used for farming to eat, for beast of burden, because those were 100% done by humanity. Like we, we caught them, we tamed them, we domesticated them. And you can hear more about that in our Why Can't I Eat Dogs for Dinner episode where we talk at length about how we domesticated animals. It was completely a one-way relationship. It was all about, what can you do for me, horse, cattle? Exactly. Give me that wool. These companion animals, they were a little bit more involved. It was more of a symbiotic relationship between these two wayward species making their way in the big, bad, ancient world. But from there, they grew and evolved alongside of us to become the house pets we know and love today. But to get to the root of whether pets are ethical, we have to look at what that life today looks like. And let me just say, it's all fun and games sitting around a campfire getting a free meal until you find yourself trotting around a show ring in a body you don't even recognize next to an equally malformed version of your early companions in sensible shoes. Was that too harsh? I feel like there's a lot of bald men in suits. <laughs> yes. I see a lot of that at Westminster dog show on I think USA used to air it. Men in suits and women in flat, sensible shoes. That's what they're known for. The dogs don't wear any bow ties, though. That would be preposterous. (laughs) Undignified. (laughs) Today, life for pets looks a lot different. We love our pets. I mean, like, love, love them to the tune of there being nearly 190 million cats and dogs living in the United States alone today. I mean, how many, how many people are living in the United States today? Uh, Three hundred million. Wow! So they're giving us kind of a run for the money. They're closing in on us, and that should be no surprise because one in three households have cats, equaling eighty-two million cats in people's homes. While there are probably more than ninety million dogs in about half of U.S. homes. Dogs always win. And since our campfire days, we have gone crazy with our selective breeding, specifically for dogs, creating almost 200 distinct, quote unquote, breeds of dogs created. I'll get into a little bit more about breeds later. And cats, we've left alone a lot more, but there are just under 100 special breeds of cats. Well, and cats, you can still look at them and be like, cat, cat, cat. (laughs) They all kind of look the same. The majority of cats' DNA has remained the same throughout domestication. So a cat today is almost identical genetically to the first cats that came and started hunting mice in our grain bins. It's because you can't change a cat, man. Cat's like, fuck you. 
Can't mess with perfection. Exactly. Can you tell I'm a cat person? I like dogs, but I'm I lean more towards cats. I like my cats a lot. I have two, as we mentioned, four, half <laughs> half. And they both have their specific charms. So we talk about our pets and how much we like them and the charms that they bring. We're not alone because surveys of Americans find that the vast majority of us consider our pets to be part of the family to the tune of about 95% of pet owners, according to the source that I found. And we will in turn spoil the shit out of these little critters (laughs) with the pet industry in America expected to reach Nearly $110 billion in sales. Jesus. And this amount has doubled in the past decade. So we are really opening up our wallets and laying it out at the feet of our furry friends. So it sounds like it's a pretty good time to be a pet, right? My dad always said, ever since I was a kid, he was like, if I die, I want to come back as a dog. Just lay around the house all day and do nothing. <laughs> My dad has said that as long as I can remember. And I mean, if you're getting $100 billion a year spent on you, it doesn't sound like a bad life. It sounds ideal, right? Easy life, embraced as family, worshipped on social media. So many awesome pictures. Yes. So flattering. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of fans. You can be a famous dog and not even know it. But those pictures, they're not always as rosy. In the United States, six and a half million animals arrive at shelters each year. Yeah, and that's about a 50% split between cats and dogs. So it's equal opportunity for being surrendered. That's interesting because I always thought that there were more cats than there were dogs. So I, I learned something. Yeah, yeah. I think there's like slightly more cats, like a couple hundred thousand more cats, but they were both about in the mid to low three million range. Just, you know, what's a few hundred thousand companion (laughs) animals between friends? Yeah, and it doesn't get a whole much happier from there because of that, only about half, not saying it's a one-to-one, but of the six and a half million animals coming in, only about a half of that amount would be adopted in a year. So about 3 million animals getting adopted each year. And this leads to a treadmill effect, right, where it's speeding up and we are not running fast enough to keep up with the number of animals coming into a shelter. So that, unfortunately, leads to around 3 million of these animals being euthanized every year. Hmm, I don't like this. Yeah, and there's also an estimated around 70 million stray animals. I think that like includes the whole population and like in the shelters as well. Mm-hmm. That there's 70 million stray animals in the US. So that's really almost a 50-50 split. If you were born again as a dog, if you're going to be born into a home that's comfortable or if you're going to be born on a street. That's a gamble. Yeah, that's a risk. I don't know if I would uh, take those odds. Take those odds in your afterlife if you're going to be a poor, euthanized pet or starving on the streets versus laying on that couch and getting all your pictures taken and all your fancy Rachel Ray food or whatever. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Those refrigerated dog foods that I see now. And I'm like, what the The raw foods? Well, that comes with its own struggles as well. There's like a whole more can of worms to get into with pet ownership because we're just looking at like the outright bad. And the first major criticism of pet ownership or pets existing is this symbiotic relationship that we had 10,000 years ago has morphed into this purposeful breeding and huge unmanageable population of these animals who depend on us for the most part and that we have turned our back on roughly half of them. Yeah, so we've, through selective breeding, we've made it almost impossible for them to exist in the wild. They're domesticated, so they they really have a terrible shot of living on their own Yes. But we've only welcomed half of them into our home. So we've left the other half out there in the cold. We fucked them right from the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. And there is some folks who believe that our domesticated animals would be okay without us because out of the global population of 2 billion dogs, only 25% live in a human home. So that means three quarters of dogs are feral or street dogs not living in a human house. I thought we said 50-50. In America. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, that makes more sense. 
Yeah. So the 50-50 is in America, and then globally, it's only 25% chance if you were going to be born a dog that you would not be born in India, right? Mm -hmm. Eating garbage, Mm -hmm. which that sounds like my dog's dream, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's not even considering the dogs and cats that start their lives off in a cushy family home living that life, and then boop, out the door, and oh, that's... That's just tragedy right yeah. there. I can't imagine. Like when you have a baby. Your healthy home. Yeah. And just be like, nope, sorry. I you can't don't do get it to get anymore. loved anymore. Yep. And they're very at risk because they are dependent on us, which mm-hmm. is a, a kind of a key staple of domestication. Now so, I feel really bad that I talk shit on my cat. He's on my he's on my lap right now. And being super cute and sweet. I know. He he's is. a lot though. I mean like he, he- <laughs> He is a lot. He's Thank not- you for validating my struggle, Rachel. <laughs> I'm not going to be like that mean mom in TikTok and be like, when friends start calling their cats assholes, I'd like to leave. Nope. He can be quite the asshole. <laughs> so we're talking about the odds and what life would be like if you were born a dog or a cat. And let's be honest, it's not really a straight shot because... Privilege exists in the pet world as well. We have designed and created these quote-unquote breeds, which is how I'm exclusively going to refer to them, quote-unquote breeds, (laughs) that fuels an industry creating countless more of these animals and bringing them into a world where there's already not enough homes to go around. Yeah, we're tossing the pit bulls aside to be like, nope, you're not good enough. I'm going to manufacture this other breed, quote-unquote, that I like better and fuck all y'all pit bulls. Yeah, all these perfectly happy, healthy dogs, they're not Mm -hmm. worthwhile because they're not what's fashionable right now. Mm -hmm. And again, I've worked in the purebred dog world. I understand the merits that people will say that purchasing a well-bred, purebred dog will get you. But for every well-bred pup born into the world, there are hundreds, if not thousands more born that look pretty similar, similar enough to him, born into horrible industrial facilities that will then sell that puppy to people who want that look but don't want to spend the big bucks Mm -hmm. in order to make a profit. Yeah, that's tricky. And I, I, from my perspective, I'm always like, yeah, I agree with you. But then I was like, but I had a Labrador when I was growing up. And if I get a dog, I want to have a Labrador that looks just like her. Yes. And, yeah. So there's, that I get it. But it also like there's this emotional pull for a certain look because, I mean, for me, it was what I grew up with. So that's to me what a dog looks like is a Labrador. I mean, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance around yeah. this purebred dog world where where I know vegans who don't believe in growing animals for the purpose of being eaten, but will have purebred dogs who are then in turn, just by having dogs and creating demand for purebred dogs, are funding puppy mills and industrial breeding operations. I just, I don't understand why a cow is worth saving but a dog, you're fine being euthanized. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. I threw that term out there, puppy mill. And while we might have thought that Sarah McLaughlin won the war against the puppy mills with the <laughs> fall of the American Mall and their shady pet shop. R.I.P. Pets Plus. I used to hang out there when I was a teenager. My friends worked there. Ah. I to ogle the puppies. And Our- the kitties. R.I.P. or burn in hell, whatever side you, <laughs> whatever side you fall on. Again, here's this cognitive dissonance. I remember being a kid and being like puppies, kitties at the mall and going to look at them. Oh, I do too. And I also remember at that time my mom eventually stopped letting us go because I heard mm. asked to buy the dogs or something. I was like, oh, I want a puppy, and she's like, we're not going to get them from here. Oh, good for her. Socially active. Yeah. I mean, like animals are a big part of our lives and that they were in my parent. That's why that's why I have all the pets I have now. We're big pet people. But these facilities are still around. They're just not filling up stores and malls. They're selling their dogs direct to consumer online through (laughs) websites like Facebook, Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist. If you bought a dog buying a dog on Facebook Marketplace. People I don't know why, but do that it. one's 
particularly, I'm like, oof. Well, Facebook's <laughs> locked it down a little bit because of it's getting some bad press. But Craigslist, people are all the time selling animals on there. Oh, and Craigslist doesn't give a shit. Yeah. If you've bought a pet on one of those websites, maybe rethink your choices a bit. You know, I don't want to be too harsh, but. <laughs> I picked mine up at the local adoption center. Yup. And My people will say, well, you still paid for it. And like, it's very different. Guys, very different. Yeah, nobody produced it. Yes. yes. We think we need to make that point clear. It's totally different. And in this case, I picked one up that was already existing. Nobody bred it and then put it up for sale. It's just like Tiger King, right? Yes. Uh, the reason why ti- the Tiger guy is so fucking unethical, and I hated that show. I couldn't watch it for more than five seconds because it made this whole thing this big joke. That's like he's breeding tigers for the money of people playing with baby tigers. Those tigers, they have nowhere to go once they're done being profitable. And so it's just like, we're going to try to sell you off and then do the whole thing over again. It's it's a tiger mill, which is like a puppy mill. And the whole thing is just fucked up. They didn't always bother with trying to sell them. You know, it was like, you get 18 weeks of life and then you're done. They once you can't, Yeah, they called <gasps> them for sure. Yeah, that was- Oh my that's a- God, I see it that's a standard practice of those cub petting services so do never pay to have tiger cubs at your kid's birthday party because or go to see one because i looked it up and i was like is there any place i can pet a tiger cub ethically the answer is no no it took me a while to come to grips with that because tigers are my favorite animals but no it's just not possible if they are breeding tigers for you to pet you should not be giving them your money in under any any circumstance. Yes. In, uh, any reputable rescue will not let people interact with animals because that's how you die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this case, it's breeding these dogs or these cats, m- mostly dogs, bringing them into the world. You're taking a spot from a dog who already exists. So it's just the dogs who aren't the right kind of dogs lead a life of suffering or neglect, of stress sitting in a shelter. And then their lives at times are ultimately cut short. And these mills are still doing their thing, man. Each year they will produce up to 4 million dogs. Wow. Which is, if you keep track, more than the number of dogs going into shelters. Wow. Yes. And also I'll throw this out, the AKC blocks legislation stopping these mills or trying to regulate them because the AKC thinks anything that is trying to limit the practice of breeding dogs as an encroachment on what they do. So AKC does not care. They will let these dogs suffer so that they can continue to do what they do, which is also another form of making dogs suffer. Okay. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Of these 4 million dogs, not all of them are going to get sold because only half of them will live past 12 weeks. Is that because they're being cold or because of their mass, like, birth defects from being inbred? <laughs> yeah, it's a, probably a bit of not healthy, not getting the proper veterinary care. I shadowed at a vet in a rural area. They would just bring mm. in these puppies with Parvo. Oh. And they'd be like, nah, they're dead. You know, they got Parvo, put oh. them down. Oh. It, it was horrible. They're truly disposable to them. And, you know, if you make it past those first 12 weeks, it doesn't really guarantee longevity or a long, happy, healthy life because 40 percent of these animals will develop some kind of health issue later in life. Again, is that because of the just simple poor breeding animal? Okay, breeding and yep, they do not care. They will let genetic conditions just run like right through like, and and this is the case for backyard breeders right yes i mean and puppy mills are only part of it right yeah. if you were selling a dog for under a hundred dollars or a couple hundred dollars you fall into this category of like low effort breeder and you are not <laughs> throw them in the, you just throw them in the backyard and we'll just see what happens well yeah <laughs> you have you have a a husky right or something that is deemed desirable so you let your husky bitch that's the proper term stay in your backyard and get bred by whatever comes in because you know the puppy's going to come out looking somewhat husky and people will pay 50 bucks for a husky-ish looking dog oh so they don't even have to select a husky to breed with her no it's just she has dominant genes so or just yeah and then the ones that don't look like it you send them to the shelter and something that's completely free to you you can then make what six puppies is the average in the litter you can then make your rent for a month by selling them and the problem with these are producing these animals who then take the spot of somebody who 
is going to end up in the shelter potentially euthanized, right? So yeah, we because look- if there were no dogs for you to buy, you would look at adopted dogs that already need yes, a home. Exactly. And we would prevent a whole lot of loss of life. But you also pair that with unchecked breeding of strays, specifically cats. They're very prolific when it comes to breeding. They but get you it at- down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And they can start breeding very young and very often. They're and almost very as, loudly. Yes. <laughs> they're almost as bad as rabbits. And you add that in with irresponsible breeding practices, and then all of a sudden you get to this population growth that's unmanageable and leads to the culling of all of these animals. And this management of the population, it causes more than just animal suffering. We're going to get real dark here for a second because this this is a sad part. Uh-oh. Human. I thought it was already sad. <laughs> oh, it, this is, the, I think, the hardest part is that humans also fall victim to this because they're the ones who are seeing this machine come and grind them down every day. People who work in animal welfare have the highest suicide rate among American workers. What? More than five in one million, which odds are still pretty good, but still. Higher, way higher than any other profession yeah any other profession and i recently yeah it's awful i recently read uh like a long facebook post so i called it an article uh (laughs) a long facebook post by a vet who works in an animal shelter who describes euthanizing handfuls of young healthy dogs each week she talked about how she struggled to find the best way to do it do you let them go outside to feel the grass one last time Or do you keep them in their kennel where it's loud and scary but familiar? Mm -hmm. And she would talk about how the dogs would jump up on the gate and wag their tails when she would come in to put them down. Fuck your stupid purebred dogs and your oodles who aren't even purebred dogs. You need your own classification. (laughs) And I know people who have them. And I'm sorry. I don't care. I hope... Me reading those things makes you uncomfortable. I hope it makes you sad. Sad enough to maybe consider doing things differently the next time you decide to add a dog to your family. I mean, that's a lot to grapple with. You get into being a vet to take care of animals, to make them better, and to kill kill healthy animals. I can really see how that fucks you up, man. Also, get a new job, lady. (laughs) <laughs> well, she's probably helping some, and in her yeah. mind, it's the yeah. trade-off. But anyways, okay, I'm off my, I'm off my okay, soapbox. Okay, okay, that was okay. pretty harsh, I think, but <laughs> it is what it is. I said what I said. I'm <laughs> I said what I said. This sorry, not gonna, sorry. This is going to be the first time we get hate mail for a lot of reasons, right? Because I can hear all of my pet owner, fellow pet owners out there, and I know you think it's sad, right? We all know it's sad. We don't want these animals to die. And we don't want the humans who are trying to help them to suffer and have their souls crushed under the building mound of bodies. But I know what you're going to say. Your pet has a good life. You pulled them from the Russian roulette of animal rescue. I did. pulled the trigger on another one by buying them at a gas station after arranging (laughs) a pickup online. Again, I'm sassy today. (laughs) But, you know, you're giving your pet the best life. You say whatever situation it came from, it's better off with you. And I get it. I get it, gentle listeners. But I'm going to tell you all the ways you might not be providing the same quality of life you think you are after this break. But I did save my kitty from the Russian roulette of animal rescue. And he is happy. And he's lays in my lap. And he's part of the family. And I take care of him. Yes, Rachel, we love our pets and we want to believe that they are thriving. But are they? So I discovered a book called Run, Spot, Run by Jessica Pierce. And it's a book that examines just the all around ethics of pet keeping and starts off by digging into that stat that we talked about that nine out of 10 of us consider our pets to be family. Who is this one out of 10 that was like, no, (laughs) no. Well, we'll figure that out a little bit by what she says about it, because she dug into the study or the the survey that figured that out, and she decided that it might not have been an unbiased way of collecting it. The poll only sampled 1,500 people and apparently asked them pretty leading questions to get to that stat 
Yeah, fifteen hundred is nothing out of like what the nine million pet owners. <laughs> yeah, truly. Out of all of them and asking them leading questions to get the answer you want. So then you can use that to build an industry selling you tons of products. And then you can use that stat on all of your marketing and all of your pet food and every toy and stupid fucking pet boxes. Your pet doesn't want a subscription box, morons. Sorry, we're gonna talk about hot takes. God, that annoys the piss out of me. In Polite Society, brought to you by BarkBox. <laughs> Morons. <laughs> but as Pierce began to dig into it, she also discovered that just because we say it, it doesn't necessarily make it true. Her research found that 30% of family dogs and cats have never once visited a veterinarian. I buy this. I know several people who fall into this category. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Which blows my mind. And of all the rest of us who do take them to the vet, there are still millions of pets living silently with chronic pain or slow-moving illnesses that we either just don't notice or can see but don't really want to take them to the vet because we don't want to see the bill that comes with it. I mean, I might be a little bit guilty of this one. Oh, same. I mean, because I had a cat, Tuna, where I knew he was dying. and But I did take him to the vet, and they're like, they did all the standard tests, and they're like, well... We can do like a biopsy. And I'm like, why? Why? For you to tell me that he has cancer? I'm not going to pay for chemo. He's a 13-year-old cat. But that's a little bit of putting off the answer more so than the spend. Yeah. I had a dog who died a couple years ago. When he was sick, he was dying. I was pretty sure he had lymphoma and that there was not going to be a positive outcome from it. And Mm -hmm. I definitely put off taking him to the vet for a couple weeks uh, because I did not want to hear the diagnosis. And it wouldn't have bought him much more time. It's an untreatable thing. But the night that we woke up in the middle of the night to him screaming in pain, we took him Uh, to the emergency vet. No question. He slipped a disc. He came back from that. And lived five I mean, years. So, I mean, maybe I can give a little bit of grace on that one. But never going to the vet. I mean, come on. It's, you got to, like, get your annual shots. You got to I mean, give a checkup. It's illegal. You have to have your vet vaccinated and yeah. registered. So. Yeah. Law breakers. Rule follower. <laughs> but probably one of the more common ways that we're crippling our pets' health and physical well-being is through pet obesity, which our animals don't get to pick what they eat. And an estimated 60% of cats and 56% of dogs in the U.S. are overweight or obese. I don't know. My childhood dog definitely chose what he wanted to eat. (laughs) Which was everything. (laughs) Well, I mean, but But. she didn't get to choose access to everything, though. She would literally steal it off the counter and open the refrigerator and dig well, through trash. But she couldn't reason with herself. She couldn't ration no, no, the true. fact of ob- obesity and cause and effect. True. And these super chunks, <laughs> they're, they're cute, but they have long-lasting health problems. They can't run and play. And what is a dog or a cat that can't go and do what is at the very core of their, their being? I feel like most of my pets in my life have not been morbidly obese. They've just been chunky. (laughs) They're indoor pets, right? But really, the thing that I think about is quality of life is how many people have dogs that they don't walk. And, oh, my God, that is such a central part to being an animal. And these animals, they're built to move, to roam, to run. And we keep them cooped up in the house with the couch and the TV and all the snacks because that's what our caveman brain wants. That's not what their caveman brain wants. So they're struggling at the the borders that we're putting around their lives. We're trying to fit them into our human life. Well, and that's a major ethical concern about pets, right, is we take these animals and they have no wiggle room. They're expected to behave exactly how we want them. Even walking on a leash is not natural for a dog. Mm -hmm. And so you have to train them and teach them to control every impulse and not do what they do, which is sniffing and like ranging and Mm -hmm. walking around on their own pace. Even if you have the best intention and there's thousands and thousands of TikToks to tell you you're walking your dog the wrong way, how you should be walking (laughs) where you should be taking your dog dog parks are great dog parks are bad blah 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 you can't win how about you just get your dog to walk like that's just like bare minimum (laughs) yeah you take your dog out of the house outside of obesity 
In our never-ending quest to pursue the quote-unquote breed standard, we've created entire and popular dog breeds that have debilitating physical deformities. And these are intentional deformities. This isn't even talking about all the genetic conditions that come with purebred dogs. This is pugs that literally can't breathe, bulldogs that can't walk, French bulldogs who cannot give birth. They cannot propagate without human intervention. Their hips are so narrow that they have to get pregnant and then go have a cesarean. So when you see that French bulldog and you're like, oh, that Frenchie's so cute. It's like, okay, yeah, it was engineered to pull at your heartstrings. It was not engineered to make that dog happy. We've crippled it. And I think the same thing about munchkin cats, too. Uh, I see those on Instagram Fucking all Taylor the time. Swift. Yes. And and the freaking the cats of Instagram, which is like the biggest cat page, they feature them all the time. And I'm like, what are you doing? These are mutations that are bad for the animals, and we're trying to duplicate it because it's fashionable, because we think it's cute. It's fucked up. Yes, and these are mostly recessive, right? So how do you secure a recessive gene in your gene pool? These breeds of dogs are so inbred. They're not breeds. They're families. That's why I say breeds in parentheses because they're all so genetically similar that it's not a Bernese mountain dog isn't a breed. That's one of the worst ones, the smallest gene pool of, I think, all purebred dogs. I always thought that Bernese were so cute. That's a bummer. Yeah, and very bad medical issues. And, okay, I'm trying not to harp on dog breeding and purebred dogs too much. But I will just say, again, I did work in the industry for a year. I've spent 40 hours a week thinking, (laughs) researching, and talking to dog breeders and handlers. So I feel like I've earned my opinion a little bit. You have. Thank you. I'm validation. But outside of all of the genetic conditions we try to avoid is what you mentioned, the genetic conditions that we breed for on purpose and create all of these animals who will never lead a normal life. And as you mentioned, all the breeds, they are brachycephalic, aka the smush face dogs, and they will literally never have a good full long breath in their life. Like... Yeah. <gasps> is something that they will never experience. This makes, yeah, that snorting sound that we think is so cute. I don't think it's cute. Well, some people think it's cute. (laughs) But that's that animal fighting for every breath, causing them to overheat easily. When I worked with show dog people, I would hear all the time about Frenchies just keeling over and dying. They would have to take their Frenchies out at night. Like, they couldn't go outside during the day because it was too hot in the summer. Oh, my God. And one of them literally, after just a few minutes of playing at night, just keeled over and died. Just a few minutes of playing killed that Ah. dog. Ah. And I also saw, quote, unquote, champion bulldogs wear reflective vest in the show ring because if they did not reflect the light off of them for the 10 minutes that they were being judged, they could overheat and die. Oh, my God. Tell me how form follows function. Tell me that that dog is a functional animal if it can't even stand under a light for 10 minutes. Yeah, that's ridiculous. My cousin has a bulldog that they they rescued, and this dog can barely breathe because of the brachycephalic issue. But, yeah, he can barely walk. He's bow-legged like a mother. But still, he managed to knock over and try to hunt my one-year-old child. Oh, no. Charlotte, get her out of there. I know. Jesus, that would be tough. (laughs) It was funny, but not. Yeah. (laughs) It was scary at first, but then it was funny. (laughs) So, and as you mentioned, these dogs can't breed on their own either. They have to be inseminated because if they can't mount, well, they could try to mount your toddler. But... (laughs) They can't mount their the females and then they can't deliver because their hips are too small. And it's just it's insane that these animals are allowed to be bred and continue to be born to suffer and awarded for it, too. They're like first prize to the dog that'll keel over without his reflective vest. You are an excellent example of a mutant dog. Yes, but they take the fest off to pretend like he doesn't need it for the actual like viewing portion, oh, like judging Jesus. portion. It was hard. I could not work in that industry very long because it kind of, like violated all my morals. So that all to say, 
our pets that are living with us, even the most loved and cared for and cherished, they may not be as healthy and as happy as we think they are. And it definitely doubles down on the happiness. Because even with a physically sound dog or cat in your home with adequate medical care, how enriching, exciting, enjoyable is your pet's life really? I mean, we say they're part of the family. We say that we love them, but they're far from the center of our world. Well, they sit on the couch with me. They help me eat my popcorn. So, of course, they're part of the family. (laughs) Of course. But according to the American Time Use Survey, Americans spent on average just 40 minutes of their day on pet care. That seems high to me, honestly. (laughs) Maybe it's because I have cats. I guess maybe, (laughs) yeah. I was going to say that seems insanely low. But as we learned in the parenting episode, we only spend about two hours a day with our kids directly. So, But I I think that's what's bullshit, too. (laughs) The average American only spends 40 minutes a day on their pets. What are they doing with the other 23 hours and 20 minutes? Licking their asshole. (laughs) That's got to be a fair chunk of it. But at the end of the day, if you got all those hours to fill, there's got assholes to lick. (laughs) Get squeaky clean assholes. (laughs) Outside of assholes, there's not a lot for animals to do because we take care of all their basic needs. We deliver their Rachel Ray raw meat dinners to their couch where they've been laying all day. And in doing that, we're actually removing a lot of their enrichment. The most basic pillar of animal welfare is about allowing animals to express their animalnessness. Like a dog needs to be a dog and do dog things. A cat needs to be a cat and do cat things. And for most of these animals, especially companion animals who are carnivores, that means hunting and seeking out food. And when we remove that mental stimulation from their lives, they literally just kind of float. And exist and couch surf. And that's why when there's a family of bunnies in your backyard, your dog is going to go fucking nuts. He's like, finally, I get to be a little bit of myself. Yeah, and he massacres them all. But outside of that, pets do a lot of lounging. Just like we do. Hence the obesity problems. Just like us. (laughs) Weight management is difficult. Dogs will sleep up to 14 hours a day. And that is compared to their relatives, the wolves, who sleep for 10 hours or less, like somewhere between 6 and 10. So they're doing a lot more sleeping than their wild counterparts. Cats, on the other hand, are pretty consistent with their wild relatives because, let's be honest, looking that good doesn't come easy. They need their beauty rest. Another point for cats. Just naturally awesome, doing their thing. Can't change a cat, man. Even still, between their napping and their other activities, there is a lot of empty hours to fill in the day. And as we all have learned firsthand from the last two years of the pandemic, being stuck in the house with nothing to do is not always the most fun. It sucks. Sucks ass. It licks asshole. (laughs) Truly. Maybe that's why tossing salad got so popular. Because... We also started showing some of those classic pet behaviors, like getting excited when the mailman comes or the Amazon guy drops off a package. We got to run to the door and check it out because that's the excitement for the day. And we all wonder why our animals adopt terrible behaviors. You know, oh, why is my dog going fucking nuts when the kids walk by the the window? Because he's bored (laughs) he doesn't have anything better to do so of course he's gonna lose his shit at the school bus at the mailman at the amazon driver and he's got to find something else to do an expression for all this pent-up energy that that he has in him and then that brings in the ethics again is it ethical for us to maintain and ask these animals to live in these conditions where we were all going batshit when we were forced to stay in the house this is their life 24 7 and i think i've joked about this with you before saying the most excited i get for meals like the same comparable level to my cats is on an airplane because i'm just like something to do and that's my cats every morning like is it almost time to eat because it's the thing i can do it's my one activity i have during the day well if you're my cats it's also right before i get fed i also have this fun ritual where i jump on you, I bite you, I pull your hair, 
I well, meow in your ear. I do all of these things to force you to feed me. And that's probably, and we're rewarding for them because they made it happen in their brain. They jumped on you. They did the proper procedures. <laughs> and then kibbles appear in the bowl. Yeah. That's the only thing in their life that has meaning. But they even kept doing it after we started free feeding them. I'm like, there's food in there, you assholes. <laughs> they just want to say hi. Yeah, they're just like, it's time to wake up. Good morning. Get up and start moving around so I got something to watch. <laughs> yeah. So this dependency, right, is really what's at the core of the ethics in pets issue. These pets are completely dependent on us. We decide when they go outside, when they get fed, when they get to go to the bathroom, when they get to go exercise, what they do when they're exercising, how long they get to smell the tree, what form their bodies take, and even if they live or die. That's the hardest part is being a pet owner. If you if, if they want to choose when to yeah. die, I'll, they can happily take that off my plate because that is the worst fucking part. Definitely. I was thinking more about the euthanasia for the overpopulation or for population control. Oh. Okay, fair. But yeah, we do make the choice for our pets sometimes as well. And this dependency is a key part of domestication. As a very popular study, I think it was a study, but anecdote almost is what it's more like, is in 1959, the Soviet zoologist Dmitry Balayev. Dmitry Dmitry Balayev. Dimitri Belayev. Yeah. Well, this guy, Dima, is what I'm going to call him because I'm not, not going to try to pronounce his last name again. <laughs> but he did a selective breeding program with foxes where he bred the friendliest foxes together to mimic how domestication would have happened with wolves. And he got interesting results because in just 10 generations, his fox not only began to tolerate people, but actually sought out human attention and wagged their tails when he approached. Their appearance also changed as well. They developed floppy ears, curly tails, and softer spotted coats. And these are all traits that are seen in, a, in other domesticated animals. So something has to be going on here. Yeah, they get cuter. People always like cute animals, so that makes sense, I guess. And also a lot of the traits that we see in those foxes, as well as our own pets, are signs of being a juvenile, right? Are traits of younger versions of that species, and that illustrates the concept called neoteny, or the retention of juvenile features, and that's linked to domestication across a lot of animals. So this isn't just changing their behaviors or their physical appearance. We're stunting their development. And this is seen as well in brain size, which is decreased across all domesticated animals when compared to their wild counterparts. And looking at just overall brain mass per body size. That makes sense to me. I mean, in order to be subjugated, you probably wouldn't turn out for you if you were very smart. And that's why they get cuter, too, because we're they're babies, right? We are breeding them to be a vulnerable. Yeah, and vulnerable, which is where the ethics really get murky because we have created these vulnerable animals that we don't always treat in the best way. And while... Dima's experiment has been called into question a little bit. Whether he's the one who domesticated them or they come from a longer line of domesticated foxes, the, the product is still there, right? The neoteny was still shown as the foxes became more tolerant of humans. So essentially, our pets are just stuck in that baby phase where we're dependent on somebody to take care of us, aka childhood. And I mean, like, How'd that go for everyone, right? What, there's why you everybody talks about their childhood trauma. Can you imagine <laughs> being constantly... Dog trauma. <laughs> yeah, just having to depend on somebody else for everything 24-7. I can just imagine that being frustrating at some point. Because I remember being a kid and being like, I can't wait till I don't have a bedtime anymore. But yeah. imagine your whole life is bedtime and do this, do that. You don't get to pick anything for yourself. But if you are continually in this infantile mindset, you wouldn't know the difference, right? You'd be like, I'm I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Gotta no. do what I'm told. How's that working with Charlotte? <laughs> <laughs> Not great. 
Not I'm just method. a baby! <laughs> the TikTok. So we talked about a lot of the challenges of the ethics of pets at a grand scale, what we're doing to the populations and the life that that creates for animals, as well as the individual lives in our homes and how it might not be as cush as we think it is. But that's not to say it's all bad. Anyone who's loved an animal knows it's a beautiful relationship. Yeah, because uh, so far I've been feeling pretty down. <laughs> you're you're kind of raining on my parade, Rachel. <laughs> the parade of pet ownership. Yes. Yeah. But that's the the question, the uh, the in internal question that we're coming with here is that struggle of the ethics of it which we love them these relationships are great for us i guess but is that enough to keep these animals in this situation what do we owe our pets and we will get into that after this break what do we owe our pets kibbles Belly rubs, ass licks, ass licks, and the occasional walk. And non-vegan cat food if you're a cat owner. Cats can't survive on a vegan diet, FYI. Cats are obligatory carnivores, except they do find that cats in ancient times, they were fed grains. So humans were feeding cats at the time. (laughs) <laughs> I just thought it was funny that even nine year nine thousand years ago we were feeding the feral cats were. that were running around. We're like, hey, these, hey, kitty, kitty, cute little guys. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So what you described falls into the realm of animal welfare, saying that the baseline that we owe our pets is a comfortable and healthy life. Yeah, and the good news is for those of us who have pets. We're kind of making progress in that area, especially our younger generations. What, what millennials? Except for they're buying BarkBox. Yeah, but that's their money. That's, the, that's, that's <laughs> capitalism. Free market, baby. Anyway. But millennials love their pets enough to buy them a, a subscription box every month. <laughs> Learn Bark more box. about BarkBox at BarkBox.com backslash impolite. <laughs> I wish that doesn't exist. Hit us up if you think that we make a good partner. <laughs> Morons! <laughs> but millennials love their pets. 70 to 80% of that generation has at least one pet. That That's a lot. About right. Yeah. And they take it seriously because it's kind of that stand-in or first step towards parenthood. So mm-hmm. we, I say we, I'm a millennial. I'm going to say we. I'm trying to be objective, but I'm a millennial. <laughs> so we come into pet ownership with the same thoughtfulness and concern as previous generations have given to parenthood. They're Googling, they're reading books, they're following dog behavioralists on TikToks, mm-hmm. all trying to make their pets' lives better. Trying to make the perfect puppy. Well, yeah, they want their pet to have that fulfilled physical health, mental health, the thing that we're all striving for. And (laughs) millennials have shown that they're willing to back that up. A survey found that almost two-thirds of millennials say that they would put their pet's health before their own. So they would take their pet to a vet before going to a doctor for themselves. That's insane. I mean... Millennials are younger and healthier, you know, like the young people probably aren't. They're not really. They're like, there's nothing ever going to be wrong with me. Exactly. They think they're immortals at this point. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But (laughs) our pets, we know that they have short lives and we're willing to put in the, the money behind it to A, make sure they have the medical care they need. And have as much bark box fun as they can along the way. I will say that I did spend $1,500 on my cat twice for his mega turds, where he was so constipated that he had to stay overnight at the emergency vet and get repeated enemas so he could get the shit out of his ass. Aww. So I am a good pet mom. That's all I'm going to say about like, that. Feather in my cap. <laughs> my cat is like Gwyneth Paltrow. It's getting enemas all day long. My cat is so fancy that his turds cost $1,300. Did you at least get to keep it? Nope. I'd like freeze dry that. (laughs) Put it on the mantle. (laughs) Bronze it. (laughs) It's an heirloom. Give it to Charlotte on her wedding day. (laughs) (laughs) But 
does all of this extra care and extra dollars equal better welfare and a better life for pets? It's hard to say since even the best intentions and displays of love don't always translate. Like, uh, fun fact, dogs don't really like hugs. And let's face it, all those clothes are for you, not for your dog. In the bark box, that's for you. That's not truly for your dog. Hundo percent. But if animal welfare, we're not quite sure that's getting us there. What if we took it a step further? Should animals have legal rights? Aren't pets people too? Pets are people too! No, they're not. They're not people. They're not people, <laughs> but they might deserve some extra rights. I mean, like, float them a few, right? We got plenty to spare. Because <laughs> apart from animal welfare, the idea of animal rights differs because it's saying that animals should exist outside of the influence of humans. They're their own sentient beings. We don't have any dominion over them. We should not be controlling them. This would mean no farming them, no breeding them, no using them for anything. We would just let them be themselves and cohabitate peacefully with them. That sounds nice on paper. But in the real world. (laughs) Yeah, we're not really good at leaving things alone. That's not our our forte. But this would, of course, include all the things that we don't like, like poaching, factory farming, all of those things. But it would also include our pets. We would no longer have pets if we adopted this full animal rights, even if it was like not instantaneous because we're not just going to kill all the pets. We we would Mm -hmm. stop breeding them. And eventually there would be no more pets. And this seems pretty extreme, but I found a quote in one of the articles linked in the show notes, folks. And I thought it pretty much summed it up and it had me feeling a little bit more for guaranteeing these animals some kind of basic natural rights is what they call it. And the quote said that as long as animals are property, they can have no inherent or intrinsic value. They can only have extrinsic or external value. They are the things we value. They have no rights. We have rights as property owners to value them. And we might choose to value them at zero. I think that is 100% correct. And that's a really hard thing to say that I'm a fan of. How do you then, how do you eat meat? Well, a lot of people would say, no, you just don't eat meat. Yeah, but I like meat. But our desire, does our pleasure of eating meat, of owning a pet, does it supersede that animal's right to exist that's that's the kind of the question at the core here i think it does to some point i think there's this idea of like cruelty you can choose to have a pet but you can't treat that pet however you want that's why you get the aspca called on you when you put your dog in the backyard and its collar digs into its neck that's why there should be a lot more regulations when it comes to factory farming and how they treat these animals and It's this thing of if the earth is human's domain, which truly it is. I mean, look around at the planet. It's ours. (laughs) We are the cockroach that has infested this planet and it belongs to us. Then everything that's on it, we are going to use however we want. It's a question of how can we do that semi-ethically? How can we not put... more suffering into the world as best we can. Well, and that's, I think, what the quote is saying. As long as we deem animals as objects, they're at the mercy of humans to decide if they have that value, if they will suffer or not. They'll always be at the mercy of humans, no matter what, because we're the dominant species. Well, I mean, animals don't have their own moral codes. That's another reason that people don't necessarily get behind animal rights. But we have transcended being animals in a lot of ways. So could this be a next step? And honestly, we're going in that direction. How we're using animals and our view of animals is changing. Mm -hmm. Every year, it's getting more and more towards animals having the rights. Ecuador has given animals individual rights when it comes to poaching and selling them into uh, like exotic pet trade. And we've seen circuses who used to use animals 
that's becoming passe. A circus in Germany has opted to use holographic animals in the place of real animals. You won't see very many real animals in movies anymore, even dogs. You'll see CGI animated dogs in the place of animal actors. Mm -hmm. And when it comes down to the big question, right, of consuming animal flesh, veganism has seen a 300% increase from the year 2004. So it just okay. Well, good to know that it wasn't just my imagination. Oh, yes. Yeah. As a culture, as Western society is progressing, we are definitely becoming more on the camp of animal rights, which is, I think, the natural progression of humanity. We had a we still have a lot of work to lift each other up still, but all in all, life is a lot better for humans today than it was 100 years ago. So then we're going to start dragging animals up with us. And apparently I got real swept away in the research on this one because I feel strongly about it. But this just all brings us back to our rude question. Does having pets make you a shitty person? I hope not. I mean, it's hard. I know some people are like weirded out when they realize like, oh, I have this wolf thing living in my house. Like how weird that I have a wolf. I just let it in my house and it sleeps in my bed. But I used to be in the camp of like, we've lived with alongside of them for 40,000 years since our species was first born. Mm-hmm. It's almost weirder to not have them in the house. Yeah. The humans and dogs are such a natural companion. There's a reason why it's been so long. We both yeah. benefit, clearly. But that's not to say that are all of us today giving dogs or pets the lives that they deserve? And we focus on dogs and cats. We didn't even get into the world of, like, exotic pets and, like, fish who are just chattel, right? Come and go, Mm. die, get rid of them, small rodents. People don't always take the best care of them and all these things. And I guess it just comes down to it. It's just, I'm not sure. I am not sure. I don't think that it makes you a shitty person, especially not now. I think that it's very much so normal. If you treat your pets well, you are definitely not a shitty person. But I think in 25, 50 years, that more and more people are going to be thinking exactly this way. And it's going to become more and more passe. Because I have heard people have this same conversation and kind of like hedge their bets. Like these public figures hedge their bets to be like, well, you know... I can see it. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's coming. It's coming. If I was going to hedge my bet, I would like to see a future where there are still domesticated animals that live as companions. They're not replacement for children. They're not something that's in everybody's house because not everybody is going to have the commitment to mm-hmm. take care of them like they need. They should be a hobby or an interest that you have, like podcasting, where you spend 10 hours a week. <laughs> just like to say that number where you spend all these hours a week devoted to it so that you can make the best podcast that you can that's and why i don't have a dog i don't have the time for a dog that's why i have cats because i know i do not have the energy for a dog yeah Except your limitations I, I fall in the camp of like nobody should have dogs and every household should have a dog because even a shitty household dog is better than being in a kennel <laughs> or dead True. but I don't know. It's it's hard. And I think that, you know, maybe when it comes to passe, pets themselves won't be. But hopefully our breeding practices are. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, billions think- of them out there. We're not going to get rid of them even in the next 100 years. But I think the tide is going to change a lot. And yeah, I do. I hope the breeding practices change as well is that we're able to find homes for the ones that we already have and stop contributing to the problem. Definitely. And I always think it's a good thing to question what you're doing in your own beliefs, in your own ideas about the world, to look at the ethics of it. I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do, but I will just say, like, I came out of this research going to figure out more ways that I can enrich my pet's life and make it as enjoyable as possible because we only get one life after all. And their whole life is in my hands. It's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. I guess that means I should leave this heater on downstairs all night for my cat because he really likes it. Oh, gosh. No, don't do that. (laughs) Fire hazard. (laughs) Yeah. No, have him cuddle with you instead. He's so annoying. 
Yeah, but we love. I love them. my cats. I'm such a I'm being such a snarky little bitch on this podcast about my pets. Thank you so much for the great question, Ben. These are the things that get our brains turning. So if you have questions, send them to us. You can email us at rude at impolitesocietypodcast.com. Let us know what you think about this episode, what you think about the future of pets are, and any rude questions, any taboo questions, any thought How great your oodle is. (laughs) And how Rachel's got the whole dog breeding world pegged wrong. (laughs) You just let us know. And lastly, and most importantly... Be sure to tell your friends. Ben, you got to tell everybody you know that your question was featured on a podcast. And all the rest of our listeners, if you know someone with a pet, send them this episode and talk to them and spark that conversation. Because this is how we grow. By smart, thoughtful, curious people who like to think and explore the world, talking to other smart, intelligent, curious people. Send it to anybody you know that has a designer dog and just cackle. And then cue all the one stars reviews on Apple Podcasts. No such thing as bad press. Boom, 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 boom. 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 You ain't nobody till you have a hater. <laughs> okay, well, this episode has gone to the dogs. So I think it's time we wrap it up. Remember, everyone, stay curious and keep marching to the beat of your own drum. Meow, 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 meow. Come here, bug. You want to say something? Nope, he's passed out next to the I'm just proud I went through the whole episode without comparing purebred dog enthusiasts to Nazis, so. Oh. <laughs> Eugenics, folks. Buzzing. That, oh. Oh, that's an interesting topic, actually. If anybody's interested in it, look it up. Yeah. <laughs>